to some other things here. Um, let me just preface this. Um, other than Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10 is one of the most important chapters in Acts. Why? Because it is in this chapter that the Gentiles are received to God through a Holy Spirit of encounter that happens and starts with Cornelius. Let me say that again. Other than Acts chapter 2, if you're a Gentile in here, which means you're not Jewish, do we have any Jewish people in here? Do we have some people that have some Jew in them? Yeah, a little bit. My wife's got her fingers up like that a little bit. Okay. Okay, if you're not if you're not Jewish, you're considered a Gentile. Okay? So for us, Acts chapter 10 is not only a remarkable chapter, but it's very important for us because this chapter shows that as Gentiles, we too are received by God. And I'm gonna just I'm gonna just uh, paraphrase the, the the whole story real quick because uh, I want to move on to uh, some other things. Um, real quick, it's about Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Okay, the Bible says that his uh, that his prayers offered to God and that his gifts to the poor was a memorial to the Lord. God sent an angel to Cornelius, gives him a whole vision, tells him to go uh, get this guy Peter, tells him where he's at. So he sends three guys. Peter's sitting on top of the roof. He's praying. He's waiting for dinner. Anybody ever wait for dinner and pray? No. I guess. Anybody? <laughs> okay. So he's waiting for dinner. He's up there praying. And it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny that he's waiting for dinner and praying, and God gives him a vision of food. But it isn't the type of food that he's normal, that he's used to eat. He gets all these snakes and, and falcons and, and all of these uh, animals that the Bible in the Old Testament called unclean. So he gets this, he gets this blanket filled with food, and it comes on down, and God tells him, kill and eat. And God, he tells God, no, my Lord. I've, I, 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 will, I will not do such a thing. I've never eaten any of these things and I'm not going to touch that type of stuff. Okay? God does it three times and what does God tell him? God's, God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And then he raises the blanket up to heaven and for those of us that can now eat pig, said amen. Okay? Bacon on a stick. Look at your neighbor and say bacon. Ham. Ham hocks. <laughs> Come on. Come on, bacon. Are oh, you aching? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, some bacon. <laughs> we can now eat bacon. So anyways, God uses this analogy. There's three guys. They come from Cornelius. Okay. He, uh, he goes, the Lord tells Peter, don't be afraid. Uh, I've sent these men. So he goes to Cornelius. He starts preaching the truth of the word of God to him. The Holy Spirit comes on, on him and his whole household. And they all start speaking in tongues and prophesying the wonders of God. All that happens, Peter says, man, who should keep what or who should keep us from baptizing these individuals? And then the whole household was baptized. This is what Jesus, or this is what Paul says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. This is, this is, this is the, the meat of all this. Then Peter began to speak. Now I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the ones who fear him and done and does what is right. So that means you don't you don't have to be a Jew to be accepted by God. But God poured out his spirit, as it says in Joel chapter 2, on all flesh. 
And I love the way that it, that, that he words that. He says, from every nation who fear him and who does what is right. Okay? All of us has, have access to God, the ability to have covenant relationship with him through Jesus Christ, not just the Jews. Friends, this is an awesome chapter. And I love, uh, in the, in the, uh, I don't know if you were able to actually watch the, 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 um, episode last week where, um, and it doesn't say in scripture, but I just love the fact that they showed Cornelius as this uh, really wicked guy and he has this powerful, powerful encounter with God and, and, uh, transformation and how he's accepted by God. I just love, I love that whole picture of that whole story because it's prophetic because man, that's how we are, friends. That we just, man, we, we're, we can be the most wickedest, vilest person and God can meet with us and transform us and turn us around. And it, and, and the thing that I love about it, is at the end they even show it, and like I said, this is not biblical. It's just Hollywood story. And he's in a in a position where he's either going to fight with the sword or he's going to choose to do the right thing. And and he chooses not to fight. He chooses to kneel. And pr- I just think that the whole picture was just really cool. Okay, it's not in the Bible, but I just thought that was cool. Okay, powerful con- conversion that he has. Okay, it's a beautiful p- picture of the power of God at work. And friends, we need the power of God at work today. That's a good place to put amen right there. We need a powerful demonstration of the Holy Spirit in our day and age. We need it. We need a powerful demonstration. We need the power of God at work in our lives. Friends, we live in a day and an age where deception is running rampant. It's not only running rampant, it's running rampant across our land. And if we don't stand on the truth of the Word of God, friends, we will be swept away with the lies of the enemy. Let me say this again. For those of you taking notes, I don't have you version today. I apologize for that. Okay? Shame on me. You're right. I know. Stink. But this is the thing, friends. We live in a day and age where deception is running rampant across our land. And if we don't stand on the truth of the Word of God, we, not others, we will be swept away with the lies of the enemy. How do I know this? Because I've read the Bible. (laughs) There's a Scripture that says that if those days were not cut short, even the elect... Even the elect. (laughs) Friends, if you're a follower of Christ in this place, the enemy has been working overtime to take us from a place of truth and power to a place of lies and powerlessness. His goal is if he can strip you from the authority that you've been given in Christ, then he can take everything from you. And so he'll do that. And it's not just like this power encounter where there's this big struggle like, like Samson or uh, with a lion where he rips the lion's mouth open or, or like Jacob when he's wrestling with God. Friends, it's subtle deception. Is that really bad? Do you really have to do that? Can you really not do that? And you know what? And we begin to buy into the lies and before you know it, we find ourselves in a place of deception. 
That's why the Bible says that we have defeated Him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and not loving our lives as to shrink back from death. If you got your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read uh, two verses here. Verse 3 and five, uh, three through 5. Uh, we're going to be reading it out of the NIV. If you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen here in a little bit. Uh, you can also turn you know, your phones there or you version or whatever you, you prefer. We're going to read this here. Matthew chapter 24. I'll be reading out of the NIV. It's up there. Perfect. This is what it says. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately. Tell us, they said, when will all this happen and when will the sign of Your coming and the end, end of the end of the age? I think it's a pretty reasonable question, right? You know, hey, when's all this stuff going to happen? It's pretty reasonable. How many of us like to know when things are going to happen? How many of us, if we, I don't know if you've got any kind of water damage in your house, how many of us, if we knew beforehand, maybe we could have did a few preventative measures, maybe? Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't, maybe you just, your the way your house is, and, you know, maybe you couldn't have, but maybe if you knew something was going to happen, you could better prepare yourself for it, correct? Yes? Okay. So the disciples, they want to know, hey, when's all this going to happen? And this is what he said, Jesus answered. He didn't say, well, you know, let me, no, this is what he says, this very first few words to his disciples, the 12, okay, who, who, who were uh, right with him, okay, were the ones who founded the first century church. This is what he told them. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Oh my gosh. We were, hey, we're asking a question that has nothing to do with this. But we're saying, hey, when, you know, when is all this going to happen and what will be the sign of the end of age? And this is what he says. Pause that for a minute. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will do what? Deceive many. Watch out that no one will deceive you. So the question is, if he's telling his disciples to watch out, what is he doing? He's bringing warning to what will happen. Kind of like the weatherman. We're going to have rain. It's going to be bad weather. So the leadership, the wisdom of the leadership of Vision Ministry said, we shouldn't have a bounce house out there with 60, with 60 mile per hour winds or whatever, however fast it was. Okay. What's that? That's, you know, hey, we took some precaution and we're like, hey, we're not going to do this. Sorry. We'll wait, wait till next month. We were warned. Now, what if we didn't have weathermen and what if we didn't have technology and we just did that? I mean, it could have been a big hot mess. It would have been a big hot mess. Okay. And that's the thing. And we don't want to waste people's money and time and talent and energy and all that other stuff. And so, you know, so we we're postponed and that's okay. So Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out. Why would he say that? Because that means that there are going to be many people that are deceived, correct? Hello. Many will be deceived, friends. And he says what? Deceive many. Many will claim I am the Messiah and will deceive many. That is a very, <laughs> that's the first thing that Jesus says. Hey, when is this going to happen? Watch out that no, I mean, he just like totally like cuts, you know, cuts, cuts to, you know, trying to tell them what was going to happen and says, watch out that no one deceives you. How many of us know that if we ask a question and God answers in a different way, it's more important that we know what he's trying to say than what the, than the, than the answer of what we're trying to ask. 
Have you ever had a, have you ever had something happen where you were asking a question, but you got something else other than your answer? Have you ever had that happen? If you have a, if you've had a relationship with God for quite some time, you'll find that happening a few, a few, few, uh, times in your life. It'll just happen where you think you're going to be going and doing one thing and God's like, no, 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 hold on here. Pause. God in his, in his great wisdom would say, watch out that no one deceives you. Why? Because many are going to be deceived. Friends, what can dispel deception? There's only one thing that dispels deception. And what is that? Truth! Only truth can dispel deception. You will know what? The truth. And you will be set free by what? The truth. You will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Okay? That's why we need to be students of God's truth. His holy word. Friends, as a body of believers, we must believe God's word and all of it. From the blessings of obedience to the curses of disobedience. We cannot use God's word to justify our own sin or try to make God out to be in our own image or in our own liking. Friends, that's deception. The enemy has deceived believers into making God into their own image. God said in the beginning, we're going to make God, we're going to make man in our own image and in our likeness. And the devil has perverted that now. And we live in a day and age where now we make God in our own image and our own liking. Friends, when we make God into our own image, that's called idolatry. We don't like that word anymore. When was the last time you even heard that word idolatry? It's been a long time probably, right? Have you heard that word here recently? When we make God in our own image, that's the second commandment. Don't have any what? Graven images. It's called idolatry. Friends, and this sin has been happening for millenniums, all the way back to Sinai. Exodus chapter 3. Here, i got a, a little picture I want to show here. How many of you guys remember this picture? Anybody remember uh, the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and you know the 50s and all that other stuff? What's, does anybody know what's going on here? What's that big golden thing in the middle up there? What is that? The golden calf. Does anybody remember what happened? Maybe, maybe not. So let's turn our Bible to Exodus. Here, we're going to read a few verses here in Exodus. We're going to read verse 1 through 6 of Exodus chapter 32. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 32. It should be up on the screen as well. Check this out. Here we go. It said, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, what's Moses doing? He's up on top of Mount Sinai getting, getting the Ten Commandments and getting the law. And so he was up there for 40 days. And these guys, they said, he's been up there for a long time. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I don't know about you, but uh, 32 chapters before that, God is doing miraculous signs showing the Hebrews how much he loves them and pouring out his wrath on Pharaoh and judgment on him 
for the wickedness that the uh, and slavery that Egypt held them uh, um, on. And so, verse two, it says, Aaron said to them, "Lord, have mercy on ministers who make God in their own image. Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me." Verse three. So all the people took their earrings and brought them to Aaron. Go to the next verse, please. Verse 4. He took what had handed to him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool, then said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink, and got up to engage in revelry. Does anybody know what just happened right here? The Hebrews made God in their own image. Where would they have gotten an image of a calf? From the bondage that they were just in for for 400 years. Egypt. And so what they did, they dumbed God down to their own understanding. They brought God down to human likeness. And this is what they said. These are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. What happens when we do this? What happens when we dumb God down and make Him into the, our own image? When we, when we, when we bring God, when we bring the perception of God down to, to a, a human likeness. When this happens, what? We can make up our own rules. Okay? We can justify ourselves in our minds and say, well, God, you know, He figures that, you know, my shortcomings and sin, it's all, you know, that, that He knows I'm going to sin and, and I'm going to fall short and all this other stuff. And it's not such a big deal because I'm forgiven. And what are you doing? When we start justifying our own sin, what are we doing? I can, I can do this and God's going to forgive me. And I remember when we were out street witnessing one time, and this was, this was a, over a decade and a half ago, and we're out and, uh, and we're just, and we're preaching and we're downtown and we're sharing. And, um, and I remember, uh, I remember we're, we're discussing with this lady and, and, uh, and she was like, she was like, my God loves me and, and he won't send me to hell and all this other stuff. And, uh, and I, I can't remember who, I want to say it was Melissa or, or somebody that was with us. And they were like, we're not serving the same God. The God that you're talking about is not the God of the Bible. Because what's happened is people make God in their own image. Well, this is acceptable. This isn't acceptable. This is and we're just making up our own rules. Friends, this is the thing. If sin is not such a big deal, then why did Jesus have to pay such a heavy price for it? And why was Jesus smitten by God's wrath for us? We've made it out to where sin isn't such a big deal. Oh, it's not such a big deal. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Friends, we cannot have forgiveness without repentance. What is repentance? Let me say this again. Let this emanate 
through Vision Ministries. Friends, we cannot have forgiveness without repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a turn of mind, a turn of heart, and a turn of direction. Okay? If sin wasn't such a big deal, then why did Jesus pay such a high price for it? And why did, why was Jesus smitten by God's wrath for us? If every road, if every road leads to heaven, then why did Jesus have to be sacrificed for it? That's why he says, I'm the door, I'm the key, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. We either believe all of it or we believe none of it, friends. We either believe every jot and tittle of it or we, or, or let's just throw it all out. This is why, friends, we call people to, to repentance. This is why we preach messages that sometimes seem strong. Because why? Men are drowning in sin and need a lifeguard. And that lifeguard is Jesus Christ. To repent means to turn from our sin, not to justify it. It reminds me of a conversation that I once had with my dad a number of years ago, and I'm not trying to put him on blast, but this is just kind of reminds me of this scenario. And so a number of years ago, I went out hunting with, with my dad and was connecting with him like the first time in a long, long time and just found something that, you know, that we could do together. And so, so it's about an hour drive to where we were hunting and an hour drive back. And so we spent a few days together. And so on one of our trips up to where we were, uh, hunting, you know, I mean, I, I just, you know, I'm always talking about God and things, and we were talking about stuff, and and he said, "Son, there are just some urges that a man can't control." And I looked at him, and I flat out said, "You're wrong. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Because I'm a man just like you, and I have urges and impulses just like you." But through Jesus, I've learned to control myself. Again, not trying to put, you know, he was in a, a, a different mindset that he is in now. But his whole thing, and you know, and my dad, who always said he believed in God and Jesus and all this other stuff, okay, and, and he's, you know, different now, hopefully. <laughs> I haven't talked to him in like a year. But there's this concept that I can't control this and God knows my heart. The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all who can tame it. So I'm sorry that, that you can't justify yourself and say, well, God knows my heart, so I'm going to mess up and it's okay. No, if the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else who can tame it, you can tame it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so as for, as for, as for my family, my grandfather was an alcoholic. He was an adulterer. They got divorced. My father and mother, alcoholic, adulterer, divorce. Okay, what do you think generational curses were coming down on my side? Adultery, divorce, alcoholism. Okay, but something happened and changed radically in me in 1998 where I made a decision for Jesus. And as I start saying yes to God, I have to start saying no to what? My selfish impulses, the flesh, the desires of my heart. Why? Not because I'm under the law, not because I found religion, but because I found Jesus and my love for Him outweighs my selfish desire wanting to please myself. 
when I start saying yes to God, you know what he starts doing? He starts having me help me to say no to, to myself. And that's the problem with the American church today, friends, is we want to say yes to Jesus and we also want to say yes to the flesh. You can't say yes to both. The Bible calls that lukewarmness. And if you are a true and authentic follower of Jesus, not saying that, that you don't make mistakes and that you don't have shortcomings, but you must say no to yourself. That's why fasting is so powerful. It's not just because that you can show everybody that you can give up a few meals and you can shut your TV off and you can say no to this or say no to that and, you know, and, and wave a flag about how holy you are. No. It's you having the capacity to say yes to God and no to your flesh and that you say, God, I love you more than, and then you put in the, you fill in the blank. Whether that's meal or whether that's television or whatever it is that you would say, I'm giving up for. Not to show how religious you are, but for us to what? Tame ourselves to have self-control. What happens when we give ourselves over to our impulses and we give ourselves over to our urges? What happens when we continually do that? Friends, you're going to find yourself continually having strongholds in your life. Because what happens when we open up the door for the enemy of sin in our life? Okay? I love what, I love when Jesus, he gives this whole illustration about this person who was demonically oppressed. And he says, how do you, you know, he says, once a house is clean, clean and, and swept in order, you know, how, you know, what's going to happen? Okay. So, so you get freedom. You say no to this. And then when you choose Jesus, and then when, when, when after a period of time comes along, the enemy comes back. How many of us know that if you've ever been set free from something, the enemy is going to come back to try to infiltrate that area again? If you don't know this, then you need to get a little bit of wisdom. Because if you think that, okay, now I've been set free and I'm never going to deal with this again. No, if the enemy had you bound in this area of your life, he's going to come back and try to resubmit himself. And how many of us know that, that the devil does not have power or authority over us? We give it to him. That happened in the garden and it happens every day. He's never, we don't have, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, this, this, a Satan that has power and dominion over us, uh, where he can just come and dominate over us. No, we give it over to him. So anyways, he said what? He said, so this, so the demon leaves. He says, and then he goes and he finds seven more wicked than himself. And the second uh, condition of the man is worse than the first, which means that the enemy, if you were, uh, had a stronghold in your life and you give yourself back into that, you'll find yourself having even a harder stronghold to deal with. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I told my dad that he was wrong and all that stuff. He's given us, God has given us what? What's a part of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and what's the last one? Self-control. What, you know what's, it's funny? I love, uh, what a commentary, a, a commentator uh, said a long time ago. Okay, the first one's love. Okay, and, and uh, on, in the beginning is love, on the end is self-control. You have those two, you can get all the rest in the middle. Let me say it again. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's nine of them. Okay? If you carry love and self-control, you can have all the rest of them in the middle. 
You can have them all. But you got to have love and self-control. You got to have the one at the beginning and one at the end. Okay? We live in a day and age, friends, where we don't want to confess our sin. Shin, shin, shinny, shin, shin. <laughs> where did that come from? But we want to justify it. Friends, as Americans, we have sin readily available wherever we go. From it sitting on movie shelves to a thumb swipe of our smartphones. We have sin readily available wherever we go. And how many of us know this? Let me just say this, friends. America has a problem with sexual immorality. America has a problem with sexual immorality. You can't go anywhere nowadays without sexual imagery. It's on everything. Everywhere. Why? Because America has grown to teach that it's okay. We have a problem with sexual immorality. This is the sad thing. How does God deal with sexual immorality? Firmly. Turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses here. Verse 12 through 17. Jesus is speaking. If you have a Bible, this is in uh, red letters. It's in white on the screen so that you can read it. Revelation chapter 2. Okay, He's, he's uh, giving instructions and encouragement to all of the churches. And this is what He says uh, to this church. Uh, Pergamum. Okay, to the church, to the angel of the church, and uh, Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Verse 14, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. How many of us know that if Jesus has a few things against us, we should deal with them, or we should pay attention to them. Correct? I think so. Okay. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to, to uh, entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Hold on, pause that. Go back there for a minute, just for a minute. He says this, these are the things that he has against this church, that they hold to the teachings of Balaam. And then he gives an explanation. What does that mean? Okay, okay. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they eat food sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality? Okay, go to the next. Likewise, you have uh, those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. We'll get to that in a minute. Verse 16, Repent therefore, otherwise I will come soon to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What? I don't know about you, and I'm going to get to the rest of that in a minute, but I don't need God fighting against me. Hello? <laughs> That's tough. He said, I've got these things against you. You ordered this teaching, you ordered this teaching, and... Um, if you don't repent, I'm going to fight against them. 
Holy smokes. Verse 17. This is what he says uh, to all of them. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name on it, known only to the one who receives it. So friends, when we hold true to the Word, when we hold fast, when we, as the Word says, okay, when we're victorious, or another translation says, uh, endures to the end or uh, overcomes is what one translation says, He's got promises for us. But we have to be overcomers. You don't get the promise without being overcome or victorious. Only one person gets the prize at the end. If you run the race and you don't qual- and you don't finish, you lose. You don't walk away with a trophy. Okay? The cool thing about, about the Scripture is every person who crosses the finish line gets a trophy. It's a participation trophy. <laughs> Nowadays, Lord, sorry, I can get I can get on that too. Here's a trophy. You guys lost all season. Here you go. What? You get a trophy? You lost. Anyways, for everyone who endures to the end, what you're gonna get? To him who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, there's gonna be every person that crosses the finish line who endures to the end that walks victorious. Friends, you're gonna get that crown of life. Okay. Rick Weiner said this about the Nicolaitans. Okay. He said the teaching of the Nicolaitans was one of compromise. It involved being pagan and practicing Christianity. It led to a weak version of Christianity, which was without power, without conviction, a defeated worldly type of Christianity. And this is the type, this is why Jesus said he hated its teaching in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6. Okay, he tells the Ephesians, the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, he said, this one that you have in this favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But God is love. This is Jesus, red letters. He says, I hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Why? Because it's a teaching of compromise. You can add Jesus right to all the other things that you're already doing. We call that in our day compartmentalization. Well, you can just continue doing what you want to do, and it's okay. Make sure you grab your golden ticket to heaven. Get your get-out-of-jail-free pass. That thing's amazing in Monopoly, by the way. That thing's awesome. I mean, I probably get excited about that card just as I do the uh, pass of the boardwalk card, right? You're like, oh, yeah, free, yes. Because you know you like ro- rolling them triples. Like, uh, 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 dang it. Yeah, I pay 50 bucks. Anyways. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on just, I'm high on life today. I'm just excited. I love God. He's good. Jesus hated this teaching because it was one of compromise. You can go ahead and do whatever you want to do, and you're all good. Sound like thing, sounds like things that are being teached nowadays. Hello. I'm just so thankful and blessed and grateful that that I came to a place where the truth of God was being preached and I had a change of life that turned my life around, encountered God in a powerful, tangible way, and learned the truth of the Word of God to not be deceived. Why? We just read that in, Reve- in, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, that what? Watch out that you will not be deceived. 
Friends, understand this. If anything that I say, if, I, if you ever think that I'm saying what is wrong, take what I say and put it to the Word of God. Please. I don't expect you just to believe everything that comes out of my mouth. You should be a student of the Word of God. The Bible said that the Bereans were of more noble character because when Paul was preaching to them, they went and, and checked out what he was saying with the Word. The only way you'll ever know whether somebody's preaching something that's against the Word is if you know the Word. Okay? Not that you know all the other different deceptions. you got to know the truth. Because truth is the only thing that dispels deception. Not knowing all the deceptions, so then you know which deception is the right deception. No, that's stupid. You don't have to know all that stuff. you got to know the truth. Some people, they get off on tangent. they got to know all these things, and then they find themselves way off in Timbuktu and La La Land. And, and it's right here. The answers are right here. We used to say B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's old school right there. Jesus says, I hate them. And then he says in Revelation chapter 2, we just read that, he's going to fight against them. Throughout the book of Revelation, God has a strong rebuke against churches that were tolerant towards sin. Strong rebuke. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. You tolerate the teaching of Balaam. And he has strong rebukes. Why? Because they were churches that tolerated sin. I love what Pastor Joy said last week. I, I've come to bring a message, not a massage. There's a time to get a massage. When you get beat up and busted up by the devil because you're jamming your sword into his kingdom, then yes, take a step back and, and, and get encouraged. <laughs> but friends, we got to be encountering the enemy. Friends, we must know the Bible. If you've committed yourself to this body of believers, and I'm going to say this, by the grace of God, look at your neighbor and say, by the grace of God. Okay, we will seek the Lord without compromise, and we will preach and share the truth of the Word of God without compromise. I'm sorry. Friends, even when a society legalizes sin, we will continue to preach what we have since we've started Vision Ministries. We've been doing this for about a decade, and our message hasn't changed. We gotta look at your neighbor and say, all of it or none of it. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through eleven. When I first read this, when I was in, when I was seeking after God, when I was hungry for God, these this these verses changed my life. I got it in the NLT, um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna share one uh, word change uh, from the NIV when I actually uh, read it. Okay. Uh, it says, do you not realize, uh, verse Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it says, don't fool yourselves. In the NIV, it says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived is what it says in the NIV. What are we talking about? Deception. Okay. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, when I first, when I first encountered God, 
I looked at that and I said, indulgent sexual sin, that's me. Worship idols, that's me. Adultery, me. Okay, no, no. Thieves, me, yes. I went to jail for stealing, yeah, thieves, yes. Greedy, um, let's see, I sell drugs for money and uh, get high all the time, yeah, me, greedy. Drunkards, uh, yep, me. Abusive, me. Cheat people, me. What? <laughs> My wife just called me a manhole. Before Jesus. <laughs> My gosh. Hey, I checked off like oh, almost all of them, okay? Me, 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 me. So now I could do one of two things. I could take the Word of God and say, you know what? This doesn't apply to me. I'm going to continue living the way I want to live. And I could just go ahead and say, you know what? I don't, you know, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Could have done that. But I don't know. When I read the Word of God, I believed that it was what it says it was. And so I have one of two choices to do. I either justify myself in my sin and say, well, I, you know, I can't stop stealing God. That's how I make my money. I can't stop being a drunkard, God, because I just, I just can't deal with my problems. I mean, whatever, you know, I could, or I could say, man, if this is true, then my lifestyle is a lie. See, I wasn't raised knowing this. I was raised on the street. You do, you do what? You do what you do to make a come up. Do I get anybody in here? Hello. Who was taught the same thing? You do whatever it takes to survive. And so as long as you ain't really hurting people, you can hurt people a little here and a little there. As long as you ain't like killing people, you're good. Right? Does anybody else believe that way? That's how I believe. Anybody else believe like that? I actually thought I was a good person. I'm a good person. I never kill nobody. Anybody else believe that? I'm good. I never kill nobody. I'm cool. If you was in here and you ever kill somebody, that's cool. You, you know, you're good too. You might as well raise your hand too. Because you got the, well, I never did that, you know. I killed people, but I never went that far. I never did that. Right? There's always the, there's always the, what well, I never did. And we can either justify ourselves, or we can look at the light of the Word of God. And then I love what it says in verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. I'm telling you, friends, I didn't give up these things by my own strength or grace. It was by the demonstration of the Spirit of God alive in my life to be a witness. And He shook me and said, you don't have to live like this. And I said, okay, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm sick of looking outside my window thinking I'm going to be raided. Can I get a witness, brother? Come on. I'm sick of waking up with my head on the toilet bowl. Anybody, anybody else there? I mean, your head is sitting right where butts sit. 
and you're hugging that piece. I maybe that was only me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so nasty. <laughs> I got a nice pillow. I come around now, sleeping good. <laughs> Snuggle up with my wifey, like yeah. I don't know about you, but I love what Joshua told Israel in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 15. I love what he says. Okay, this is my namesake. My mom named me after the man of God, Joshua, in the Bible. And this is what he says. He says, now fear the Lord. Serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Go all out for Him. All for Him. Just just do it all. Go for it. Just, just go crazy. Oh, you need to tame down that Jesus stuff. No, you don't. Just go radical. Just toss it away. Just all faithfulness, all diligence. Just go buck wild for Jesus. Just do it. Just if you're gonna do it, do it. That's why you know what. I, that's why I believe you know when you have people that were addicts when they get saved radical, it's it's. I mean, it's over because I mean they were when they, they were doing it, they were doing it. I mean, it was over. I mean, they was doing. They was in the corner, just I mean, not caring, just hitting that pipe, just not caring, just going. Buck wild for whatever it was they was hitting on. That dope, whatever. And they get they get Jesus, man, and they're like, whew, I only know one one way, and that's all the way. He said, he said, go for all, all the way. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose your day whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the, Euphra- the Euphrates rivers, or the gods of the Anamites, Am- Ammonites, Amorites, blah, blah, blah. In whose land you were living. You know what? I love this. You know what this is called? Choice. Whew. Joshua's standing in before all of, of the Israelites and he's telling them, you know what? If you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to serve God, go all the way. Do it all. Just go out. Serve Him. Get rid of idols. Go buck wild for Jesus. Maybe, But maybe serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you find out who you're going to serve. It's called free will. It's given to every person. Free choice. God doesn't demand us to worship Him. If we don't want to, we, we don't have to. And if, if we don't want to serve Him, then we don't have to be with Him when we die. That's the option that we have. I don't know, how, how are you going to want to not live for Him on this earth, but then you want to be with Him forever? That's how he sees it. If you don't want to be with me now, why should you be with me then? Why would you marry the person that was cheating on you all the time? If they wasn't faithful to you when you were dating, you think they're going to be faithful to you when you get married and you got to put a ring on it? No. Sorry. I'm on something else today. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, you can do whatever you want to do. You can serve whatever God you think is fit for you. I don't know about you, but as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me and what I've seen, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. As for me and my house over on Prouty Street and here at Vision Ministries, we're going to believe all of the Word of God. And we're going to stand on it. And we're going to preach it. And we're going to believe it. And we're going to see the power of God change and transform lives. Because He's been doing it for the past 17 years I've been serving Him. 
And He's going to continue to do it. Because He's good. And His mercy endures forever. Whew! Sorry. That's for me and my house. I don't know about you. There's lines that are being drawn in our society every single day. There was a line that was drawn on Friday. And choose this day whom you're going to serve. John chapter 1, verse 17. I love this. i got a few more verses, then we're going to close. John chapter 1, verse 17. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, Jesus is preaching, and, they, and there's 5,000 people that are following Him, and they don't like what He has to say. And what do they do? They go away. And I love what Peter says in verse 68. He looks over at the disciples and says, are you offended by what I have to say? Are you guys going to leave too? This is what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus even said this of Himself in chapter 6 and verse 63. He said of Himself, He says, My words are spirit and they are life. The words I have spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit, as the NIV says. They're spirit and they're life. Friends, the words of Jesus are filled with the newness of life. The words of the Lord are filled with the fullness of joy. The Word of God will give us peace the world does not know of. By it we receive freedom. Why? Because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. By the Word of God we will receive power. By His Word we find who we truly are. By His Word, friends, we find out what we were created for, why we were created. By His words we are healed. Friends, by His words we are made whole. By His words, we are made new. By His words, we have clarity and vision and purpose. So we can either receive all of the promises and benefits of the Word and live by them and abide by them or say no to them. And if we say no to them, then we have to say no to all of them. Stand your feet with me.